0: Today <clears throat> I'm not quite sure where some of those things came in Gary <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, couldn't uh, couldn't honestly own up to all of that yeah now the act stuff is really good um, and uh, just lately been working very hard on getting some stuff going in French there's been uh, quite a bit of uh, interest in francophone Africa from people who speak a tiny bit of English and they're struggling through our English courses because they're so hungry for something <laughs> you know, and uh, struggle, 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 they do because they know so little English and when it comes in French they'll be a whole lot happier, so we're working very hard on that at the moment. Um, so I'd encourage you to have a look at some of that stuff, some really good stuff there. Um, this morning I want to do a little tour through uh, an Old Testament book, a little Old Testament book. Um, it's only four chapters, and it's, uh, it's all over and done with, all, all finished, and um but in that book is some amazing stuff um, if we want to talk about relationship. Yeah. And uh, yeah, between a husband and wife, yes, there's a bit of that in there as well. But I don't want to emphasise that bit of it this morning. I want to speak a bit more generally um, about relationship and how we, uh, how we relate to each other and, and uh, how we can develop relationships. And I want to use the examples that we find in this book. The book is Ruth. And uh, if you're not quite sure where that is, you, um, it's just after Judges, it's just before 1 Samuel. Um, it's kind of a bit a bit early on in the Old Testament after you've got past all that law and stuff. Okay. And it's a story that's set in the time of the Judges, or perhaps probably fairly late in the time of the Judges. And uh, uh, if, you, if you know the story well, you know that the Israelites, they under Joshua they they rolled into into Canaan and they settled there and there were battles and they took over from people who were there and and then for a period of that probably is measured in centuries they lived as a as a tribal confederation the 12 tribes of Israel and and they had various leaders pop up at different stages when it was necessary for the people to be led um, in a particular way and uh, eventually it came to the point where they wanted a king, and uh, the prophet Samuel gave them King Saul. Now, later on in that period, you've got this story of Ruth. That's when it, That's where it happens. Um, so you got. It's a pretty hairy part of Israel's history, frankly. If you read the last four chapters of the book of Judges, um, beware. It's M A fifteen plus. Okay, bloodthirsty. Lots of gore. Um, people being raped and cut into bits, and yeah, just beware of that okay Um, but it's a pretty hairy story and it it tells us about the kind of world that these people lived in for, for a while it was pretty pretty ugly in some respects and yet in that ugly world there were some really beautiful people who did some really beautiful things and we can learn so much from these people now I wanted to begin with I just want to read the first 10 verses of the book of Ruth just to to get some background to this story in case you don't know it well reading from the beginning of the book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of the two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth, and they lived there for about ten years. Both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Sometimes the Bible just gives you the bare bones, and I read that, and I'm, I'm hearing horror. This is terrible, is terrible. Yeah. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, "'Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness.'" As you have shown to your dead and to me, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And, and, and so the story goes on. But I think that sets it up for you. That lets you know, um, kind of, that's the background of the story. That's the start of the story. And, and you've got, as I read that just earlier in the week, I, I was actually reminded, and, and maybe i watched too many movies, I don't know. In, in, the, in the Lord of the Rings, there's a, a particular scene where the king of Rohan is at the funeral of his son. And uh, Gandalf is there and uh, the king of Rohan is distraught. He is a wreck. You know, he's, he's just discovered that his son is, is dead. The funeral is there and he's bitter and he's angry. And he turns to Gandalf and says, no parent should have to bury their child. Okay. And I've often reflected on, on that kind of thing. And it's a, it, it's a horrible kind of situation. And, but this is where Naomi was, not only one but two. Uh, not, not to mention her husband and I imagine by this point in the story Naomi has had enough of death Okay, it's just, let's stop the world I want to get off, this is, this is not going anywhere good, yeah? she's in a really really nasty place so much so that a bit later after that, those verses I read she says I am no longer Naomi, right? she called herself bitter, a well, Hebrew word that means bitter and uh, that's where she was, this is a terrible place that she's in in her life and yet And yet, with this background to the book of Ruth, to this foundation, this beginning to the book of Ruth, we see in this book some of the most fantastic acts of love and joy and building up that you will find anywhere in the Bible. And it's all done. (laughs) Oh, in one sense, so simply. And yet it's something that we find so hard, isn't it? What I want to do... Is I want to just skip through the book of Ruth a bit and just look at some examples. I actually found seven. Seven's a good number, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, I found seven examples. There're probably more. In fact, I know for sure there are more um, of expressions of love in action, and not just love in action, but it's it's love that goes above and beyond. You know, it's it's faithfulness that wasn't actually required, but they did it anyway. And this is an attitude that we're going to see through these examples that I'm going to go. And I want to sort of take, well, after we've done our little tour through the book, I want to take that and and reflect on it a bit um, from our point of view. But as we go through these examples, have a think about how this example shows love which is above and beyond, faithfulness that actually wasn't required, but they did it anyway, and what some of the effects of that are. I mean, the first one is just right after those verses we read in verses 16 and 17 in chapter 1. And uh, Naomi's just said to her daughters-in-law, head back to your mother's house, find other husbands, get on with your life, forget about me, my name is bitter. You know? And then Ruth says to her, don't urge me to leave you, to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Talk about above and beyond, yeah? She's just been released. I mean, Orpah and Ruth would have felt some kind of obligation to help their mother-in-law. That was the cultural norm. But their mother-in-law has just given them the get out of jail free, okay? She said, you don't have to do that. All right. She goes on in quite some detail and says, Look, I'm not going to marry again. And even if I did, and this was the custom by the way, even if I did, would you would you wait for my sons to grow up so you could marry them? And of course not. You know, this is just not going to happen. Go home, find other husbands, get a life, you know. Enjoy enjoy what, what God will give you. And even with the get out of jail free card in her hand, Ruth is saying, Uh-uh, I'm with you. Your God is my God. At, whew, and just, just that, I mean, the Moabites didn't actually worship Jehovah. Uh, that, it wasn't their God. But here's Ruth saying, I'm with you. I'm with, I'm with the Lord God Jehovah. Your God is my God. Where you go, I will go. Where you, you, you die, I will die. I mean, this is commitment. <laughs> this is everything. This is, this is all in, both boots. All right. There's no holding back here. This is way above and beyond the call of duty, so to speak yeah and while she might have had some duty, this is way above, way up above it, way beyond, and it is faithfulness that is just astonishing, really, really astonishing faithfulness and I'd encourage you to reflect and, and read through this book it's four chapters and it's all over. it won't take you long. you know have reflect on some of the, the the examples of faithfulness that you find therein. Go to chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. So we've got Boaz, he's the other main character in the story, apart from Naomi and Ruth. So Naomi and Ruth get back to Bethlehem, and uh, there's a man living nearby, Boaz, who he has, there is some connection with, uh, with Naomi and the family of Elimelech. He, he's one of those, there were several people in, in Jewish custom who sort of had a bit of a responsibility to look after them okay, um, that term is kinsman redeemer, that's that's often used. And and these, these people had the sort of responsibility of, this is a widow and her daughter-in-law, she may be struggling with resources, and there were several people in the community who, because of their relationship to her late husband, had a responsibility to kind of keep an eye on her, right? And uh, there's this little little law pops up a couple of places, Leviticus 23, 22 and Deuteronomy 24, 19, where God says to the people of Israel, when you're harvesting your fields, don't cut right to the edge. Just leave the edges there so that the poor can come along and gather what you've left behind. And if you're harvesting and you drop stuff behind you, don't go back and pick it up. Leave it there for the poor to come along behind and harvest. okay And that, that verse is, uh, happens a couple of times in, in the Old Testament law. And what Ruth was taking advantage of here when she went to see Boaz was this law. okay? Boaz is a landowner who's harvesting his fields, He's got getting all the grain in and uh, getting the stores up. And uh, Ruth is one of the poor people who's following along behind the harvesters and picking up the little bits that they missed. Okay, that the, the law, of, law of God says, don't go back and get them, leave them for the, the poor people. And Ruth's doing that. But what happens in chapter 2 is again this above and beyond thing. In verse 8, So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me, don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled, which she did not have a right to do. Okay, unless Boaz says you go do that. That's that's your that's your right now. Um, the the poor who are following along behind the the harvesters, getting their little sticks of grain and a little bit of. Extra leftovers do not have a right to walk into the work shed and grab the water that's there for the workmen. Okay, but Boaz is saying to her, "You go and do that. Can't have you working in the field, not able to get any water." And this is just sheer kindness, right? Yeah. yeah, this is this is just a man who is just being kind. He's he's being above and beyond. This is not. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have an obligation to do that. He probably knew of his relationship with Naomi. Okay, he probably recognised that he had some responsibility here. But he didn't have to do. He didn't have to go this far. He didn't have to go this far at all. Yet here he is, and he's doing it. Um, you know, Jesus summed up the law in a couple of places, um, Matthew 22 and Luke 10, where he he says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbour as yourself." And these two verses, which he's pulled out of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, are, are kind of a summary of of the Ten Commandments, summary of the law in total. If you ever have, have think about the Ten Commandments, the first four of them are all about love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the last six are all about love your neighbor as yourself. Right? You have a read of them, you see. And, uh, and this is just what Boaz is doing. This is just a sheer example of a guy who is living out the law of God. Okay. See the law of God, and gee, when we read it sometimes, and all that stuff about sacrifices and all the details, and it's pretty dry sometimes. But it wasn't meant to be that way, and it it wasn't that way to Boaz. He's living. He's living this law. This law was good. This is what God had given His people as as a way of showing them how to live as the people of God. And Boaz was doing that. He was living. As one of the people of God. And this, this is what the people of God were, were supposed to do. Show kindness. Yeah. Go above and beyond. And welcome the stranger and, and the foreigner. And do for them what they needed. This is what the law says they were supposed to do. And this is why Jesus got so peeved at some of the religious leaders in his time. His time because they would take little bits of the law and oh, i am got to do this and I've got to do that all. But this little verse gets me out of doing all those things. Okay. Like in one particular example, Jesus criticizes them for tithing every last little thing but then not looking after their parents because they found a verse that says they can commit all their, all their own to God, which means they can't spend it on their parents. This is not the heart of the law. okay? This is not the heart of the law. The heart of the law is what Boaz is doing here. This is the heart of the law. And when Jesus came, he, he didn't, as he said in Matthew chapter 5, I'm not here to, to abolish the law. I'm here to fulfill it. Yeah? And that heart of the law is what Jesus did when he came. We go on in chapter 2, Boaz, still starring here in verse 14. So they've been working for a day or two, and in the meantime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. When he sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain, and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull some of the stalks out for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. <laughs> this guy is not just leaving stuff behind; he's taking stuff out of what's harvested and throwing it behind for her. Yeah, this is this is just this is this is the heart. Of, this is the heart of God. Okay, you're hearing what I'm saying here, and. This is the foundation for, by the way, for really good relationships. Okay, chapter three in Ruth. That's 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 the bit that concentrates a bit more on a relationship between a man and a woman. And I've I've read some stuff where some scholars find some pretty erotic stuff there in chapter three, which I'm not going to go into. Basically, there in verse nine, there's a bit of a, a request for a marriage proposal, really. Okay, and uh, that's what Ruth is angling at now. But as we go on um, in, ver- in chapter 3, down to verse 18, Naomi said, So she's come back now from um, being in the, in the grain shed with, with Boaz and uh, the sort of the hints at marriage proposals have gone back and forth and all that kind of thing. And in verse 18, then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Okay, and so this is Naomi and Boaz. Just making sure Ruth is is taken care of here. Okay, they're going out of their way to take care of Ruth, and and we see this um, in chapter four, verses nine and ten. I, I want, might need to explain a little bit here. From verse nine and ten in chapter four, then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people. Today you are witnesses that I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Killian, and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite's, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Okay, so this is, this is Boaz with the elders of the town formalizing the fact that he's just bought some property and he's going to marry Ruth. Okay, that sums it up. But there's some stuff there... That he says there about having a name for the dead and, and that kind of thing, what and it's it's there in the law of the law of Moses. If some some guy who's inherited land from his family he dies without having inheritors, okay. The custom was that I mean, if he if he had a wife, okay, who hasn't had any children yet, someone else marries her. The first son they had would be the heir of the the dead husband. Okay, not the heir of the guy who actually was biologically related to him. All right? And the reason for that was to keep the the name of that. The whole economic system of Israel, as it's set out in Leviticus, is, is quite complicated. It's really it's a system that is designed to stop the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. With the whole um, jubilee year thing, every fifty years, you know, you, all all property that's been bought and sold gets given back to the inherited owners okay so buying property then becomes actually renting it until the next jubilee year that's all you're doing okay Um, but if someone dies and doesn't have any heirs what happens to that land there's no one for it to be given back to is there okay so that that's what creates this so Boaz is is marrying Ruth and, and the first son they have actually will be the inheritor of Elimelech okay not Boaz and if you read there in chapter four there was another guy, another kinsman redeemer who had a similar responsibility to Boaz who according to the technicalities was actually a bit closer to Naomi than Boaz and he actually had first, first dibs. Okay? He had the right to do this first and Boaz wouldn't have been able to do it. But he said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm, that might endanger my own estate, he says. And you see you've got, he's going to marry Ruth and the result of the first son is not even his heir. Okay, and he's acquiring this land that is not actually going to stay in his family. Uh, so he he wasn't interested. Okay, but Boaz he's interested. He wants to do it, and again, this is the the above and beyond thing. This is this is just going faithfulness over the top. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure there's lots of other examples in in the book. <clears throat> I guess. If I were to reflect on this a little and try and pull out the the centre of this, it's about acting on the behalf of others. Okay, It's about acting on the behalf of others. So what you're doing is you're thinking about the the person that you have a relationship with, any kind of relationship, and you're thinking, how can I build them up? How can I set them up? How can I put them in a position where they will be healed, where they will be restored? How can I put them in a position where they will gain where they will be happy and this is this this whole selfless thing okay this selfless selfless love kind of thing um, that's coming out there and uh, look I'm not talking about the kind of relationships where one person is giving 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 and the other is taking 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 that's not a healthy relationship okay um, don't get me wrong on that um, but this sort of selflessness runs all through the Bible and what it means to love god and to love your neighbor okay it's this selflessness that's that's the foundation of all of that it even goes into christian leadership you might have heard the term servant leadership okay as a a way of leading but that's a way of leading where the leader is looking at the people they are leading and say how can i raise him up how can I set her up so that she is able to use her gifts the best, best possible? How can I place this guy in a position where he will be able to flourish in ministry? And it's not about being the boss and, and ruling over these people. It's about lifting these people up and putting them in a place where they are going to excel. Okay. And again, there's that underlying selflessness to this. And that's what I see all through the book of Ruth. Boaz had it, Naomi had it, Ruth had it okay these are the three characters these guys well guy and two girls whatever term you want to use these guys had this selflessness and because they each had it and their interactions are just so fruitful and so amazing and uh, oh by the way just in case you didn't know the last few verses of Ruth tell us that Ruth in fact was King David's great-grandmother Okay, and King David came about as a result of this union between Boaz and Ruth. Little thing on the side, but you see what happened. Naomi at the beginning of the story has changed her name. She's calling herself bitter now, Mara. Yeah? I'm bitter, and yet by the end of the story, she's joyful. Okay, and when when Ruth has a son, she she's just so filled with joy. What happened? What turned bitterness into joy? Wouldn't you like to know? Yeah, yeah? I, I, I think everybody in the world wants to know because we all get a bit of a taste of bitterness, don't we? We all we live in a world where it's it's really possible to get bitter so easily. And what turns bitterness into joy? What turns bitterness into joy is this selfless love, this faithfulness that goes above and beyond, that beyond the law, beyond what's. Called for what's absolutely necessary. This total desire to see this person lifted up, to see this person built up. I'm—it's kind of the attitude that says I'm sold out on lifting this person up. And it's really wonderful as someone else in the world who's sold out on lifting you up too. Okay, um, but that's what they see—is this selfless building up, this this kind of this kind of love that can restore. From bitterness to joy, okay. That can build people up from a broken place. I I think it's fair to say that Naomi, at the beginning of the story, is a broken woman. She's been forced from her home to to Moab in the first place, and that probably wasn't um, a joyful decision that she and her husband made because they were going to a Moab. The history of Moab and Israel is not a good one, okay. (laughs) They're going to a country of oil. There's not war at the moment, but yeah, relationships aren't so good. Um, but they went there because they needed the food. They needed to live. They needed to they needed to make a living, and they couldn't do it in Bethlehem. And when they went there, death followed. Death followed. Death. Yeah. And she's just left with, she's just left with bitterness, and she's in a very empty place. And yet, from that very empty place, she ends the story full of joy and full of hope, because of this selfless love, because of this faithfulness that is above and beyond. So I'd, I'd urge you to reflect on this acting on behalf of others thing. Uh, take that phrase and examine your own life and examine your own relationships and say, how can I, how can I do this a bit more than I already do? Okay? I mean, people here are in different places. Some of you are probably doing this you know, 99% of the time, and that's fantastic. You're wonderful people. Some of us might be doing it a little bit less. Uh, some of us have bad days. Have a think about how it is that you can act on the behalf of others. In every situation you go in, I do some part-time work as a, as a security guard. Mm-hmm. And so I spend a bit of time in pubs and gaming rooms. And there's one particular pub on the west end of Hindley Street called the West End Tavern. And uh, your imagination can provide it. That's who we get in there. All right. We really get some some cases in there. But I might ask myself, how can I relate to these people who are so hopeless and so lost, so angry with such a chip on their shoulder, some of them? And how can I relate to them so that they finish up in a better place, even when my job sometimes requires that I have to physically throw them out the door? It's a challenge, isn't it? How do I relate to these people? Yeah? The answer I've come to, by the way, is how I relate to them when they come in the door. And usually that means I don't have to end up throwing them out the door, okay? But I encourage you to take this—this this acting on behalf of others, the, this, this above and beyond, this this selfless love. How can you apply it in in your relationships, in your place, in your life? We need to be thinking about how we develop others. Alright, view those in our lives as people that God has placed around us for us to input into, for us to. Bless for us to build up, for us to push along, for us to carry if necessary. Okay, and as I said, hopefully, there are people around us who view us that way too. Okay, because we all need that. I mean, our God has just given us the, the ultimate example. <laughs> we see it again and again in the book of Ruth, but just consider what, what God has done. He created this world. And the Bible says that basically he's created so he created us so that we could have a relationship with him. He wanted—he he, was—he wanted more relationship. It wasn't that he was lacking anyway. He's God, but he wanted to have a relationship with his creation, so he created a creation. And then what did that creation do? About you know a few weeks in, probably they disobey him. The relationship is destroyed. The universe kind of trembles, and everything is broken, particularly that relationship. Between God and the creation and relationship. If you read Genesis chapter three about what God says to the man, and the woman, relationships between them too got a bit got a bit bumpy, all right? Because of those events. And yet, what has He done? Immediately, by the way, in Genesis chapter three, He's immediately prophesying the Redeemer who will come and and step on the on the serpent's head. Yeah but he be, he plans this he knew this from the beginning Jesus coming was not plan b this was he he was going to send Jesus to die and make it possible for that relationship to be restored between god and his creation and that was massive that was that was above and beyond the requirements yeah that was a selfless act on god's part so the examples are there everywhere Okay, and I believe as disciples of Jesus, we should be trying to develop ourselves in, in that area. We should be, even if it's a wide, tiny little step at a time, we're asking ourselves, okay, this one person, this one relationship that I have, what's one thing I can do today that will that will build them up? What's one thing that I can do today that is a bit above and beyond that may put them in a place where they. Can meet Jesus better, or get to know God better, or, or all of those kinds of things. Yeah, it's it's all about restoring the ruptured relationship. Yeah, the story of Genesis chapter three is, mm, is I talk all day about it. Okay, so but I'm not. Um, <laughs> this relationship between God and His creation, which is our purpose for being, okay, is broken. And if you think about having our purpose for being broken, you've got a bad situation, really bad. If your purpose for existing is broken, you're in a bad place. And God has, has made such an awesome sacrifice so that that could be restored, that our purpose could be restored. We could be built up ourselves. We could be in a place where we can give to others. You can't give from a, an empty cup, eh? Well. I'd encourage you in the current week to reread Ruth. As I said, only four chapters. Not going to take you f- real long time. Um, get through it pretty quick, and have a read. And as you're reading it, read it in the light of having this building up, uh, this attitude, this this above and beyond faithfulness, this selfless love, in the light of what Jesus did. Okay, when He came and He He died that we might live. Okay, read the book of Ruth again with that in your mind. We we, Look, we all read the Bible through filters anyway. We've got coloured glasses on, whether you realise it or not, we all do. Our culture, our upbringing, our experiences, they all colour what we read. Well, I'm just telling you what filter to put on your eyes, okay? Do it in the light of what God has done in sending Jesus to die that we might live, okay? Read it in the light of this above and beyond faithfulness, this selfless love. And just see what God says to you, Yeah? And uh, I'm not going. Uh, yeah, look, I'm not in a position to tell each of you what God's saying to you. Um, Prophecy is not my strong point. Yeah. Um, what I want to do now is I, I want to give uh, anybody here or, or anybody watching a, a bit of an opportunity to deepen their relationship with Jesus. And you see, you can't begin to receive from Jesus this ability to, to, to give above and beyond and, and, and exhibit this kind of faithfulness unless you have some kind of relationship with him. Uh, there are some people who have learned just from their parents and their families that kind of love, and that's fantastic. But I look around the world around me, particularly some of the places I work nights, and I see a lot of people who know nothing of that kind of love they've never had it modeled to them ever by anybody in fact quite the opposite they've been they've been shafted they've been yeah all sorts of things and so they're just never going to be able to give this kind of love unless they are shown it yeah and so you know if, if you're here or you're, you're watching this I just want to give you a chance to start that journey I want you to um, reflect on what it means to get to know Jesus better and to receive from him so that you can give to others. Because that's why God chose his people, you know. He said it to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, I'm choosing you so that the nations get blessed. Same principle goes through all scriptures. Jesus has given to us so that we can also give to others. I also want to encourage any of you here or, or, or watching that if you've, in while I've been speaking, you've thought of a particular relationship that you, you have uh, where you want to do one more thing that's just more along these lines. I want to pray for you too. okay? Because if each of us, i don't know how many people in this room? 50, 60, know how many people in this room? But each one of us does one thing each day. For somebody, oh, something's going to change, yeah? Something's going to change. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask you to, to speak to my brothers and sisters here. Holy Spirit, I ask you to, to fill them and guide them and uh, give them the strength and the, the vision that they need. Lord, I, I pray that you will repeatedly let them experience your love that you will put in their minds this, this concept of the faithfulness above and beyond, this love that is just selfless, that that is so building up and so strong in developing really good relationships. Lord, I, I pray that that be a catalyst of something much, much bigger because, oh, look, as I said, if each one of us do just something, that's a lot of somethings each day and it's... Uh, That's going to change things. That's going to to have an effect, Lord Jesus. My prayer is that just in each one of us doing something small, big things will change and, and miracles will happen because you are working in our lives and enabling us to work in the lives of others. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.